guys have a seat. And if you have your Bibles, uh, would you go to Matthew 7? Matthew 7. We are um, three weeks away from finishing the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Woo! Awesome. We were there. We kicked off as we launched River and Way in April. We started with uh, Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're three weeks away from finishing up. So we'll finish um, on the Sunday of Advent, and we'll kick off Advent season um, with the church calendar. Um, So today we are in uh, Matthew 7. and this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain. Luke, if you read Luke, it's Sermon on the Plain. But in Matthew, it's, it's Sermon on the Mount. He, Matthew has Jesus on a mountain delivering this, this message to this people, like his commands and instructions to his people. And it's not the first time that God's people found God on a mountain and were, and were delivered something. Moses pronounced God's commandments to Israel to Mount Sinai. And at the conclusion of that defining sermon from Moses, God calls his people to obedience. Um, It's not going to be on the screen today, but Exodus 24, verse 3 says, When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, saying, Everything the Lord has said, we will do. And this is a consistent theme in Scripture, that after hearing God's commands, his people were given a choice. We're given a choice to choose between two paths, the path of life and the path of death. They have the choice to follow other nations and other gods, and God says those will lead to destruction and will lead to exile, or they can choose on the path of God to the life of flourishing. So here Jesus is on a mountain. He's just given us like chapter 5 and chapter 6, where this is his teachings. This is this is entering into the kingdom of God, what kingdom people are like. And he's just laid out the way of the kingdom, the way of human flourishing. And Jesus then ends with a multiple calls of obedience. And so two weeks ago, Nick talked about through this passage where he, he lays out, Jesus lays out the image of two paths, like the wide path that leads to destruction, the way of death, and the narrow gate and the narrow path that very few take, but it leads to life. And today what we're going to kind of dive into is the warnings about those who appear to be obedient, but, but aren't really. And then next week, uh, we'll, we'll split like that kind of up into this week and next week. And then the following week, right before Advent, will be a parable about the foolish and wise builder who built their house on the rock or the sand. And if you would see, as you see, that Jesus is always having two kinds of people. There's two kinds of paths. There's two kinds of people and trees that we'll see today, good fruit and bad fruit. And there's two kinds of foundations that we can build on. And it's, I want you just to see this posture of Jesus going, we get to now choose. And so that's what we're entering into, just for us as a community, of just this decision of choosing to follow Jesus. Maybe many of us in the room have, have an, in, in some point in our life, like made a distinct decision. And that's what I, we want to invite you into believing like, that is often not just one moment, but a series of moments of saying yes to Jesus. And so that's our our hope, just as we pastor this space, that we would just be a people that look at the teachings of Jesus, see that they bring flourishing in life, and also see the other path of destruction. And we we have wisdom and grace from the Spirit to say we choose this narrow path, the way of life. So let's read our passage one more time, Matthew 7, 15. And we'll kind of go line by line through it afterwards. Matthew 7, 15 through 20, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. 
Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. When I was a senior in high school, um, I, had a, I had a great youth group experience. Um, we had a, the, a youth pastor that was just fantastic of the church we grew up in. His name was Nick. And thinking about it now, um, as I was thinking about um, just the story, I was realizing like he wasn't much older than, than me. When I was a senior in high school, maybe he was three or four years older. He seemed like he was 30, but he was like 22 or 23. Um, and, and Nick just really loved students. He loved students. He loved Jesus. We loved him as a youth pastor. And he also really loved pranks. Um, and he was, he was really good at them. And he would, he would tell us endless stories like about his prank portfolio. Like, he'd just be like, here's what I did in college. And we'd be like, oh, man, that's amazing. That's so good. And he would just kind of, like, tell us pranks all the time. I think he was trying to impress us. And he did. He, he impressed us. And, but, like, for seniors in high school that also are fond of pranks, when somebody who's older than you says they're really good at pranks, it's kind of like fodder for you, right? To be like, mm, I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to outprank you. And so that was our like relationship. Um, and he would go so far, I remember to like tell us all the time, like, guys, I'm the king of pranks. I am the king of pranks. And we just, we just knew we had to, we had to topple him. We had to take down the emperor, right? Like Viva Revolution. Here we go. It was our senior year of high school. So uh, we had a big operation where we decided um, that Nick, he was about to get married, and so our window of like doing some kind of pranks to him was shrinking. And so we, uh, we put together this plan where as seniors in high school, we enlisted some, like I enlisted some close friends, and we had the bright idea that we're going to kidnap him in the middle of the night. What we're going to do with him, I don't know, but we're going to kidnap him. And we're going to show him that he's not the king of pranks anymore. And so we realized how big of an operation this was. And so what we did is we had to like enlist some help. And so we went to some freshmen in college. They just graduated. They were our friends. They were in the college ministry. And we brought them in and said, hey, we have this idea to kidnap our youth pastor. Are you in? And they were like, absolutely. And so they get in. We start the planning. Um, in fact, one of those guys that we brought in that was a freshman in college was actually in the wedding. And so we had an inside guy. We knew like his schedule. We knew all the stuff. Like we we're ready to go. So we put this plan together. We have video cameras because we have to have proof. And uh, we, we, we're just ready to go. We're ready to kidnap him. We decide to go at one in the morning on some random night, knowing he's sleeping in his, his couch of his in-law's room. And we put together this whole plan. We have the back door secretly opened. We're all in black in ski masks. We have helmets on and we duct taped cameras because that was before GoPros, right? And so, so we have this, like, we're like, we're in. And, and so we all sneak in and I was the call guy. We all get around his couch and, and we like, you can see his silhouette. You can hear him sleeping and we're just like, this would be so good. And I, I'm supposed to say now and we're all gonna tackle him, duct tape him. And it's ridiculous. Like I look back now, I'm like, you go to jail for this stuff or... Like, you get in a lot of trouble. Um, so we all gather around the couch. We're about to say go. And then from the couch, Nick says, hello, boys. <laughs> and the lights flick on. And out from, like, the hallway and the garage door and the gate we came through is, like, 20 college students that come. And they tackle us to the ground. They duct tape us up. And 
And I still have this image of my youth pastor on the couch, jumping up and down like Tom Cruise on the Oprah show. And it's just like, still the king of pranks, still the king of pranks. And what happened is we found out is those college friends that we brought in to help us succeed, as soon as they said, absolutely, we're in, they turned right to Nick and went, guess what's happening? And for three months as we planned, the whole time they had this counter scream and we are betrayed. <sighs> by their fruit, you will know them, right? Like by the fruit. So I, I, tell, you, I tell you that tragedy um, in my life because I, and I remember that playful story because honestly, it's the first time that I, I felt duped. Like I remember on the ground, like going like, what happened? Like how, like, just, I, I, I trusted someone. We brought somebody in to help us accomplish this, like, mission, and they, and in the end, it just led to destruction, right? And it was the first time just feeling that. And funny story aside, Jesus knows that all of us in life, that on our path to living, like, we, we end up looking for guides to help us. We, we look to voices to kind of shape um, how we see the world and how we see life. And Jesus, as our teacher and as our rabbi, he's, he's just laid out in chapter five and six a pattern for human flourishing. Like we desire, like what does a full, holistic life look like? And Jesus says, this is what it looks like. My teachings, my way. And he, now he begins to warn us that on that path, through the small gate and the narrow road that leads to life, and few take it. Jesus just assumes we're going to take this path, and as we go down this journey that is the life of following Jesus, that we are going to look for guides to help shape that. If you examine your life, I'm sure you can actually see, like, this, this person in this moment in life actually really shaped my faith, and this person in this life actually shaped my faith. Or maybe some of you guys have the tragic story of going, like, this person in my life actually helped, like, destroy some of my faith. We look for guides. And so let's work through Jesus' teaching on this, just line by line. First, verse 15, the first words are this. Watch out, verse 15, watch out for false prophets. That's a strange word that we actually, like when's the last time you used false prophet in your vocabulary? Um, probably like never. Uh, I, like I was looking back, I'm like probably not. Like none of us are this Thanksgiving are gonna go around and be like, hey kids, don't talk to Aunt Lindsay. She's a false prophet, right? Like, we're not, we don't really use that a lot. Um, but before the qualifier, true or false prophet, what is, a, what is a prophet? What does this word mean in the text? A prophet is a man or woman who speaks on behalf of somebody else, namely God. Speaking on behalf of somebody else, namely God. It was somebody pointing to somebody else. Prophets are signposts to reality. What is ultimately true from God for humanity, prophets are a signpost to this. They are, in a sense, guides to ultimate reality, God. What life should be like, the good life, human flourishing. We don't use the term prophet as much today unless you come from like a charismatic or a Pentecostal background. But these prophets, they're, they're guides, and we still recognize the role that they would play in Jesus' day. Prophets are, I've been using this term, I think it's more helpful, but prophets are guides. Prophets are luminaries. They're professors of our day, philosophers, psychologists, pastors, podcasters, authors, influences of our, our day. People who have influence that point to the life that should be reality, and specifically those that point to the reality of like, this is, this is a, a signpost to the good life to God. 
This is what Jesus has been doing as, our, as a prophet, pointing to ultimate reality. This is what the kingdom of God is. And on the path towards a good life, Jesus warns us that those who look like they're guides to this life, as Jesus describes it, but in actuality are leading to something else. They're leading towards destruction. These are false prophets. Um, the Greek prefix there, false, is a, is a mixture of words that like, we get the word pseudo from. So think of pseudoscience, right? Kind of science, but not really. It's, it's notating something that is superficially appearing to behave like one thing, but in actuality, it's something else entirely. It's pseudo. These pseudo-prophets, it's not all wrong, but it's not all right either, and it will produce something. We don't have time to look at it today, but like throughout the Old Testament, um, especially like Jeremiah, you see this clearly, and, and both Peter and Paul in their New Testament writings almost always hit this, like, look, watch out for false prophets, false teaching, those who will lead us astray from the way of Jesus. So Jesus' warning here, it's not a one-off comment. Um, it's not the only thing that he says, but it's, it's a thread throughout. Because like we're talking about the word like guide, like a prophet is a, um, is a map maker, a cartographer. Here's a map to the good life, to human flourishing, and what Jesus calls the kingdom. And in theory, a false prophet could point you down the wrong path. And before you know it, like a decade passes, and you, you find yourself like in the wrong destination, and, and this like collapse happens. And maybe that's happened in your life. And Jesus here is warning as a tendency of following Jesus. Um, we actually have a tendency, I think, in our, in our culture that, easy, that we swing a pendulum. Either we don't talk about false prophets at all, like we never, we're like, we just don't even talk about it. It's never part of us. Or sometimes we swing the pendulum the other way, which like everybody who thinks differently than I or has this different doctrine than I, again, not orthodoxy, but has this, well, they're all false prophets, Right. And I think Jesus, what he's doing here is he's giving us a way of wisdom. So many voices in our day. Everybody's talking. Everybody's pointing to reality, pointing to the good life. How do we as followers of Jesus like, get to discern true and false? What are the tools? He gives us a way of wisdom. Let's read on how he does that. Verse 15, the whole verse. Jesus says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. What a metaphor. Jesus uses this um, agriculture, this livestock metaphor in parables um, throughout, and, and other people in this time, other rabbis would also use these symbols. And the story like of a lamb representing innocent and victim, gullible and unaware, and wolves of that day are the predators of that day. Ferocious, out for blood, um, out, out for its prey. And so for Jesus, the danger is that false prophets aren't nearly as easy to spot as we would hope and we would think. The smart wolf doesn't come to you as a wolf. It, like, we would be able to see that from a mile away. We'd be able to know, like, oh, that's a wolf. I can smell it. I can see it. A smart predator doesn't come in that way, but it comes disguised as the very thing it's preying on, as sheep. And in the same way, false prophets don't look like false prophets. They don't come right away at you and be like, hey, here's all my heresy. How can I help you today, right? 
We, it, that's not usually how it happens. What this means for us is that we actually can't take our guides at face value, especially for people like claiming to speak on behalf of God. The irony of a, of a pastor saying that from a podium today is, is thick. I get that. But in all sense, that's true. Like, we actually should, we should discern and we should think, you guys have the Spirit of God in you. And we actually decide, is this healthy? Is this unhealthy? The wolf looks like the sheep in this metaphor. And this warning from Jesus, as I was thinking about today, can almost kind of cause a little paranoia in me, I think. You're like, well, if I can't tell if it's a wolf because they're in sheep's clothing, how do I know? Like, how do I know you're not a wolf? How do I, like, how do we, how do we, how do we discern this? It can be almost cause some paranoia or this closing off of relationship because I don't know, I don't know who to trust or how to trust. So help Jesus. Like, how do we know who's a ravenous wolf? And so he does. He switches metaphors to help us out. How do we know this? Jesus says this in verse 6, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad trees bear bad fruit. How are we to recognize wolves in sheep clothing? How do we know? We recognize them by their fruit. Grapes and figs are the two most common produce in Israel, and thorns and thistles are the most common um, invasive species that farmers have to deal with. And the point that Jesus is making is that living organisms, grapevines and fig trees, they produce according to their nature. It's what they are. In the same way, good, good people produce good fruit. Figs produce figs. Grapevines produce grapes. Thistles produce thistles. Thorn bushes produce thorn bushes. In the same way good people produce good fruits, it's not perfect fruit, but it's good. And we see that bad fruit is an indication of someone's interior life, their nature. And we call this character. The first test of a follower of Jesus is, is looking at the character of somebody. Does it seem to be consistent with what they say? Is their character show this? I love this Eugene uh, Peterson paraphrase version of the message of this, of this passage. I'm going to read it for you. It's not on the screen today. But it says this, Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practice sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off uh, some way or another. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees and their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. I love that, right? Like, I, that, my, don't be impressed with charisma, but look for character. Eugene Peterson here is paraphrasing. I, I think he's, he's seen it, right? Like, there's a character element. It's like one of the first kind of tests. Um, one of the first tests is knowing a healthy guide is, a, is their character. And one thing I noticed here is notice that Jesus doesn't define fruit. He gives us the metaphor. You're going to know them by their fruit. Well, what does that mean? What is, what is the fruit? What does fruit look like? Is it supposed to be this fruit, this fruit, or this fruit? I find it interesting that when it comes to Jesus' warnings about false prophets and guides, what Jesus doesn't do is give us just a description on how they're going to talk to us. He doesn't give us a list of 20 things, going like they need to make sure they hit all these 20 things, and then they're not. He just says, look at their fruit. 
Again, this is a way of wisdom and not like us, which we often want, which is just a checkmark box. Like if they do all 25 things, then they're good. No, Jesus says, no, it's, it's, a, it's a long haul of looking at their fruit. Gives us a metaphor of discernment process of true or false. So for our time, like I, just, I would love us to this morning just recall some stuff so that we can know as followers of Jesus and as Jesus is like imparting his wisdom on us, what fruit do we look for in people? In guides that we have in our life, in pastors, in, again, podcasters, in influence, like the people, in um, news anchors, and all the stuff, like all the things that are pointing to what life should be in the good life. There's wisdom for us to go, what fruit does it produce? And what is the fruit that it's producing? First, we need to start with the fruit that Jesus has told us about. Jesus has just gone at length. We've spent six months in it looking at his teachings. One of the first things that we have just to come to the grips of realizing is the fruit is the way of Jesus. So in some sense, like the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus lays out as, as, as who people are, like that's fruit. That is the fruit that we should see in, in guides' lives, and prophets' lives. The Sermon on the Mount has been describing this fruit from the very beginning. From the very beginning, like even just the Beatitudes at the beginning. So if you would turn to your Bible, we have time, yeah, turn uh, just to chapter, the very first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5. Let's just read the Beatitudes again this morning. And I want you to put the lens on of fruit, okay? Like this is fruit that we see in lives. And, and we're going to hit this a little bit later, but just as we do, like just think of the voices that are in your life. Think of the people in your life that you kind of look to as um, as a guide, as someone who's pointing you to the person you want to be, to the life that you want to live. That could be anything, even when it's like a mundane thing, like I actually really like how that person talks about this or that influence that I have on what that person says of the good life is. And we're going to read this and just discern fruit. Verse 3 of Matthew 5, Blessed are the what? Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you. For because of me, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The fruit of being poor in spirit. Of being like, I, I have a need. Like, I, I need God. I, I don't have to, I'm like poor in spirit. The fruit of those who mourn, who actually like, who actually don't avoid suffering, but actually see like we get to suffer with Christ and see like the, the resurrection life out through of that. Those who are meek show meekness. That's a fruit. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, for shalom, like the world to be put right, where the world's been fractured apart. These people press in to help with the spirits, help put it together. Blessed are the merciful. And I feel like we've lost that fruit, like in our culture. Blessed are the peacemakers, not peacekeepers, but the peacemakers. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who bear Jesus' name, meaning his way, even if it causes persecution. Like, I would, like, that's good fruit. And if you just skim through the rest of, rest of um, the Sermon on the Mount, and again, I, don't have, I had a list for the screen that didn't work out this morning. But just can, can I read those to you? Like some of the things we've hit over the past couple months. And I want to read them to you as like a way of going like, oh, that, so, that sounds like good fruit. Jesus frames in the Sermon on the Mount of, of a people who set aside anger towards one another, who seek reconciliation, who set aside lustful, and, uh, lustful desires and practice sexual simplicity, self-control, covenant faithfulness to one another, to spouses, those who are married or committed to their covenant, and we don't practice divorce. The people who are honest, we talked about who don't take oaths, meaning don't use God language to manipulate people, who their yes is their yes and their no is their no, a people who are non-retaliatory, who don't look for vengeance, people who practice enemy love and pray for those who persecute them, people who don't seek fame but have a hidden life in God. They look to please God and not people in giving to the needy, in prayer, and in fasting, people who practice forgiveness, who invest and work for things that are eternal, people who don't serve or worship or adore money, people who have a deep trust in God, they rest in God, people who seek the kingdom first, people who do not judge others but examine themselves first, people who help others in a wise way and how they do it, and people who pray. They have a prayer life, and they know the goodness and the character of God. Those are just like snippets of what we've hit of how Jesus has painted like kingdom people. And I look at this and I'm like, this sounds like good fruit. This is good fruit. Galatians 5, Paul warns us um, about the very real dangers of the fruit of the sinful nature, the, the flesh, each one proven by its external acts. So Paul even says like, there's, there's our, our, our sinful nature has an external fruit. It's just some of them like rage, selfishness, idolatry. And then he goes on to beautifully describe the fruit of the Spirit, which is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is good fruit. Like when Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit, I believe he's kind of painted like this is what this fruit tastes like. If my eyes are closed and I bite into an apple, right, I should be like that's an apple. Right? Have you ever seen anybody like give somebody apples and then one left time they give them an onion? You see that? Like it feels the same, it crunches the same, it tastes vastly different, right? It's not, that's not good fruit, right? It's great on the grill with some shrimp, but it's not good fruit. In the same way, it's for us to recognize good fruit. Let's look at verse 18 in Matthew 7. If you just go back to that page. <clears throat> Start wrapping up. Verse 18, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Jesus does not split the inner self from our outer actions. Our outer actions show our inner self. Jesus emphasizes the actions. How are the actions to actually test the source? The fruit shows the health of a tree. A whole tree produces fruit, right? 
It's not just this one branch that produces fruit. The whole tree, it's a holistic picture. Um, there was this painting I was going to show you guys this morning, but I think you just use your imaginations. Um, so this artist painted this tree, which is basically the same up here as the same down here. Like if you look at a tree, it's basically just like inverted on itself, right? The branches look like roots. The roots look like branches. You can, like, and it was just this image of thinking like whatever's happening out here on the outside with my words and my actions actually give us an indicator of what's happening on the inside of the roots of a thing, of the soil that it's drawing from this. And so just as we kind of go into the end here, I want you to just, again, think for a moment of the guides that you have in your life. Who are the voices that you hear the most of? Um, is, it, is it the words of Jesus or is it something else? Uh, this, this isn't a knock, but like um, my brother, who I, who I love deeply, he just really loves Joe Rogan podcast. And like, and I've listened to him, like, there's some, there's some good stuff there, but like, at the same time, I was listening to him, like, this is like four hours worth of material every single time. Like, so I make a fun, like, oh, you're, you follow Rabbi Rogan, is what I tell my brother. Um, and it's, this, it's just this idea, and I'm not, it's not a knock understand. I just was trying to understand, go like, wow, like, here, and I do the same thing in different ways, but here my brother is like four hours a day listening to somebody, listening to a voice. So just for you, recognize for a second, what is the voice you listen to the most? And I think Jesus is like, what is the way of discernment? Does, it, does the fruit it produce look like this? And he gives, us, he, gives us like, he gives us this so that we can discern false and true, so that we can know what path we're on, path of destruction or path of life. Like That's why Jesus is doing this. He's giving us the way of wisdom. Um, verse 19 Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I think we get this naturally. Jesus' metaphor is talking about a tree here. Liz and I bought a house uh, 2016, and it's a 1970s home, and whoever owned it in the 1970s, they planted some fruit trees. And so we had a really mature orange tree, a really mature lemon tree, this giant grapevine with green grapes, pomegranate tree, like just like, I'm from Orange County, where I had like, cement city like I, my backyard was like the size of this podium um and and so it's like oh fruit like things produce things it's amazing um but we have this lemon tree that was just overgrown and produced a lot of lemons but i had to cut it really far back and had to prune it and i might have done a bad job so it might not be the tree's full fault but cut this thing back and just like it has not given lemons again like or if they if they do they're kind of weird and like ugly. There's some bad, like we're looking at this. I, like last summer, Liz was looking at this tree going like, just cut it down, right? Like it's just wasting soil. Let's get rid of this thing and plant something else. And this very real thing, like when, when the tree produces bad fruit, like the owners of that tree go like, it's just wasting soil. And it eventually goes into destruction, anti-flourishing. In a very real way, this is Jesus' picture of destruction. When, we've, when we like keep pulling bad fruit, like eventually that tree is going to fall down and we're going to see it for what it was. A rotten tree, a tree that didn't produce good fruit. And I think Jesus is trying to save us from that moment. Because when you're looking at a tree going like, I get fruit, this is good fruit, good fruit, and then it's destroyed, that affects us. That affects us going like, oh, what is my, what is my faith? Where is my life? What is true? What is not true? So this is Jesus' way of, of like protecting us, of guiding us, of being our true prophet towards the good life. Verse 20, let's end here. 
Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do you notice that he says this part before the metaphor? By the fruit, you'll recognize it. And he says it again here in verse 20. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. What does Jesus want his apprentices to do when it comes to false guides, false prophets? What he doesn't say is everybody get your pitchfork and tar and feather, right? Let's go to town. That's one pendulum. What he doesn't say is let's just ignore it, right? They seem like good people. I'd want to hang out with them. Like, ah, just let's ignore that. Let's ignore the character piece or the teachings of Jesus piece. Like, and he doesn't say like, let's start, let's start an Instagram handle or a YouTube and let's go to blast, right? What does Jesus say? What's the very first word of the passage that we looked at today? What do you tell us to do? Yeah. Yeah. Watch. Look. Watch out. Recognize. Examine. Look at it. Like be on be on alert. Like just in a looking way. I love this about Jesus. Like watch the fruit. Watching isn't instant, which is like a kingdom principle of patience and time. Um, in the addition to our lemon tree, we planted a red grapevine uh, next to our green grapevine. And this was a baby tree. This is a mature vine, I should say. And I planted that thing three years ago. And it was just this summer that, like, it produced these red clusters of grapes. And they were good. And it was, it was like, oh, I planted something, right? But it, for three years, it looked like a vine. Um, it looked, it was like, is it green or is it red? I don't know. It sprouted leaves just like this other one. It grew in the same way. It was only three years later that it actually proved to be what the plant tag said it was, which was a red grapevine. And I finally got to see it three years later. Watching out for false prophets doesn't mean that we need to become paranoid about everything all the time, but it does mean that we need to be a patient, observant people who are always rooted in Jesus' teachings. I heard a friend this last week at this cohort that I was at, and I like he like, he didn't say in a bragging way, just one of his disciplines. He reads the Sermon on the Mount every day. And I was kind of like, nobody's pulling the wool over that guy's eyes. If you're like, nah, Jesus says this, right? Like, he's just rooted in it. It's this painful, patience, washing, and observance. We need, in a sense, a spiritual x-ray vision to discern sheep and wolves' clothing. But unlike Superman, who just has the ability to see like that, our spiritual x-rayness, like our ability to see if this is a wolf or if this is a sheep, is two things. It's time and proximity. Time and proximity. Jesus says that a person's character and identity is like a tree. It's revealed by its fruit, and you can't know a tree's identity from a long way off, right? It takes time to see the fruit grow, and I actually need to be by the tree to see if it's good fruit, and that's such a danger, I think, in our age where most of our influence and our guides actually are from people we have no proximity towards. They're usually like this person on this, this social media or this that we allow a lot, of, of, a lot of influence in our life. I actually think it's something we work towards, like proximity. And like, like that's why sometimes we'll see famous teachers or preachers and they see it's such good teaching, such good fruit, and then there's this giant fall, which is so unfortunate. It just seems like it's happening all the time. It's this rootedness that's not taking place. And so it takes time for us, but also proximity. Who are the people, who are the people you're allowing have a voice in your life that you actually can see flesh and blood, that are actually close? Because that's when you actually get to see the root system and not just the false fruit. 
So it's time and proximity. And as we're looking through this chapter, um, I was just thinking about how, um, how Jesus started this chapter. I got to teach it a couple weeks ago in verse 7. If you just go there real fast. Verse, at the very beginning of chapter 7, I'm sorry, chapter 7, he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. And we talked about that doesn't mean that Jesus is saying don't discern because right now the passage we just said is like, I want you to discern. But this next verse, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. A good tree automatically produces good fruit. This is how Jesus describes his disciples. Healthy, thriving trees. And the life of God through the Spirit within us will manifest in love, joy, peace, kindness, mercy. The key to this kind of life, Jesus said, is learning to abide in deep communion with God, to remain in Christ. Often we want to look at all the false things, like, oh, that's bad fruit, or that. And sometimes that can distract us from our own rootedness and our own ability to go, am I bearing good fruit? Because the same measure I use will be measured to me. Our, our judgment, should we should discern and call, that's bad fruit. That's good fruit. But that should be from a place of going, I know that because I've been deeply rooted myself and not making it up ourself. Our focus should not be on the fruit of our branches, but on the depth of our roots. Not on the, the focus for the follower, like it's the fruit of the Spirit. Like you want to be more patient, you don't practice more patience. You practice abiding in the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit will be patience. The fruit of the Spirit will be joy. There is a great pressure for us to appear godly in church. And it sometimes tempts us to ex like focus exclusively on the visible and the measurable fruitfulness instead of developing a life rooted in Christ through prayer. We worry more sometimes about displaying the right behaviors as opposed to like being deeply rooted in God. Um, just to end with this, when we do this, um, author Sky Jathani in his uh, little short book about the Sermon on the Mount called What If Jesus Was Serious, um, he just has this great thing where he says, when we do this, when we, when we focus on just the fruit and not on the roots, he calls it Christmas tree Christians. Christmas tree Christians. And I just love that picture. For some of you, you probably just put your tree up because it's November and you're already listening to Christmas music. Scott, I know you're not supposed to, uh, but he is. No, no judgment on that. But, but like, it was this image, Christmas tree Christians, and I'll just read it. It says, Christmas trees are beautiful, and they draw attention to themselves in a way a natural tree doesn't. They are decorated with tinsel and lights and covered with glittering glass fruit. They are, I'm sorry, with glass fruit, but all of the ornaments are there to hide the unappealing truth. Christmas trees are corpses. Christmas trees are corpses. They're dead. They're cut off from their roots and sustained by a pot of water that we must refill over and over, perhaps every Sunday morning. Eventually, every Christmas tree has its fake fruit removed and it's thrown to the curb and burned. Too many of our communities can easily be filled with beautiful but dead Christmas trees, yet what Jesus desire, desires is the subtle beauty of a fruitful, thriving orchard. I just love that picture. Even as you like see Christmas trees, like they're, they're beautiful, they're fun, but the reality is it's, it's, it's fleeting. 
It's got one month, and then it's brown, and it's dead, and we throw it to the curb, and somebody picks it up. It's this invitation for us to be wise and watchful for pseudo-prophets, looking for the root system and looking for the fruit. And it's an invitation for us today to, like, reroot ourselves because I think that drift to, like, uprootedness in Christ is so tempting. Even Jesus says, narrow is the gate. And narrow is the way that leads to life, and few take it. And the invitation for us, again, on the two paths, is to look for good fruit and also to become people who bear good fruit. Uh, and so let, let's end this way. Um, I just want to end, end with some time as we in prayer this morning. Um, like uh, two things that kind of came out. Sue, Sue is recognized just in just listening to the Spirit, like a um, people of being forgotten. Um, and like this joy as, as well. We were talking about being rooted in Christ and joy. And so um, we just want us to spend some time listening to God together as a community. And so just for like 30 seconds, we're just going to be silent. And I'm going to have Liz come up and she's going to read John 15. Uh, we read this a few weeks ago as well. It just seems like Jesus is using this passage as we end the Sermon on the Mount a lot. Like it just keeps coming to mind. And so we want to sit in that and just trust the Spirit's going to do something with that. Um, but John 15 is just like, it's this abiding and remaining in Jesus for the point of bearing fruit. And what I would love for you to do just with the Lord right now, um, and maybe just put yourself in a posture of listening. Often that is like actually feet on the ground rooted. Um, that could be hands open if you feel comfortable with that, but just hands free is, is a good practice. And just to say, God, like I'm here to listen to you. Is there any voice I'm listening to right now is there any guide that I have in my life? Is there any, in a sense, like prophet I have in my life that is not bearing your fruit that you call good? Recall Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Recall the Galatians 5 passage of Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit. And just listen to Jesus in a moment. Listen to the Spirit. And if, if there's some, something that comes to mind, maybe the Spirit will say, like, this voice is unhealthy. And if that's a call for you, then to, like, to turn that voice off and to turn towards one that actually points you in the way of Christ, in the way of Jesus, that sounds like his teachings and sounds like his voice. And so, yeah, just with that time, and then we'll go into a time of worship and, and take the bread and cup, but just about 30 seconds. And then Liz will come up and just read over you John 15. And let's just give this time to listening to the Lord.